You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. I know what you're thinking. Phil did not get better looking. It's just me. And just for fun, I'll let you know that my older brother wrote that joke for me. Uh, for those of you that know me, I'm sorry, but you get me today. For those of you that don't, I'm the children's pastor here. Um, as Phil just told you, he just rolled back into town, and so he asked me to teach, and I was happy to help him out in any way I could. Um, I haven't really gotten to talk to him about his vacation yet, um, but I know that he sent me three pictures, which included a geyser explosion of some sort. I don't really know. I'm not a nature person. What appeared to be a 20, 25-foot waterfall and a, I'm assuming was a bison in the middle of the highway. So, I, Phil, are you in here? There you go. I'm guessing you were not in Texas. So, according to, my, according to what I remember from geography class in seventh grade. But I know you guys just got comfy, but I am going to ask you to stand. We've got a couple of verses to read. Open up to Isaiah chapter 44. If you need a Bible, we've got a couple gentlemen walking around. You're welcome to use one of those. If you do not have a Bible, that is a gift from us to you. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. All right, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And flip back a couple of pages to Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, and that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. Lord, I just thank you so much, Lord, for the, the gift of being able to teach your people. Lord, you know how inadequate I feel, Lord, standing up here. Lord, I pray that you just speak through me today. Lord, I pray that the words that, Lord, I've prepared are somehow able to minister to someone today, Lord, to help them out, to pull them out of a rut. God, I pray that, Lord, it's just in your hands. I pray for that gift today. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. All right, so the style of teaching that I'm going to do today is a little bit different maybe than what you're used to. I'm going to do kind of a question and answer type of study. So I'm basically going to ask a couple of questions, and then I'm just going to answer them myself rather than have a group effort here, right? I hope there's no arrogance built into that. All right, so I'm going to dedicate this style of preaching, though, to the parents who have gone through the stage of questions with their kids. Um, you know, why, 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 why? You laugh because you know you've been there. Um, well, for years, honestly, I thought I was really well equipped to be able to handle the question phase when I got to it. Um, I was convinced that I would be very patient and I would get down with them and I would answer every question. I would patiently, you know, wait, wait until they respond and I would go back and forth. I was convinced my kids would have a college education at the age of five. Sad to say... I don't even have a college ed- education yet, much less my children. Um, so 
I was crazy to think that that would be the case, right? Well, this weekend, my wife yelled to the kids, go get your swimsuits, all right? And I thought, okay, of all questions, that's not a question a kid is going to ask why to, right? Because it's obvious. But of course, why? And so I'm just like, are you serious? Like, you're doing this on purpose. I know you are. So like, I got down on one knee. I'm like, okay, what in the world? Just think for a second, okay? I want you to tell me why do you think that mommy asked you to go get your swimsuit? Oh, uh, I don't know, because we're going to go swimming, yay! And just runs off. I'm just like, <laughs> I feel so played. Like, she did that on purpose, right? <laughs> but asking questions is a wonderful thing. So with that in mind, we're going to start our series of questions, all right? Now, there's some things that we just have a tendency to accept in church. Um, different truths, different facts that, hey, it's just what we believe, but maybe we, sometimes we don't really necessarily look into why we believe those things. Uh, my hope today is that God will use me in some way to um, bring attention to the glory of God. I, I hope that you guys are able to see his beauty. I pray that your heart is kindled or rekindled with a true heart of worship. Because really, our hearts should leap for God. When we talk about God and we worship God, our hearts should leap. It should never be a dry, boring worship service, right? All right, so I know that there's at least one, maybe several, maybe all of you, that's why we're here, that really need fellowship with the Lord today. So that's what I'm going to try my best to provide. Uh, I always feel very inadequate teaching. I hope the Lord uses my, uh, my lesson today. So question number one, why did God create us? That's an easy question, right? We could tackle that one. All right, well, it all begins here. All right, what was God thinking when he created us? What was the big idea? What was going through his mind? What was God trying to accomplish? All right, why did he create us? All right, we have to think about this. All right, well, I'm going to cheat for you. I'm going to go ahead and just give you the answer. All right, the reason we were created and the reason we exist is to display the beauty and the glory of God. That's the whole reason we're here, okay? We're not here just to exist, all right? God was not bored in heaven. He didn't need us. He didn't have to create us. He was perfectly happy with the Trinity there, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They enjoyed each other's fellowship. They didn't need us. They didn't create us out of a deficiency, all right? So there is so much to know about God, and he wants us to see all of it. God reminds us all through the Bible that the primary purpose behind everything that he does is for his glory. Isaiah chapter 43. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Psalm 106. All the verses should be on the screen so you don't have to flip. Psalm 106, at the Red Sea, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. Matthew 5, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Isaiah 43, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That one threw me for a loop the first time I read that. Wait, you blot out our sins? For your glory, for your name, that makes sense. I thought you were doing that for us, right? But the point of that, the point of him doing that, is to display the wonder of his forgiveness. 
Uh, so while we're in heaven worshiping for all of eternity, what are we, what are we going to be worshiping? Thank you for saving us from our sin, right? Romans 11. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, this was really difficult for my little brain to process. I heard that laugh. My whole life, everything I've ever done, all right, was done with my own good being at the center of my decision-making process, right? It wasn't easy for me to realize this about God. It's something I really struggled with. So everything is for him, not for us. didn't make sense to me. All right? But we know that God is at the center of the universe. We know that everything that he does is for his glory. All right? And so since God is at the center of the universe, you know what that means? It means he runs the show. God gets to do what he wants. He doesn't consult another God. He doesn't consult us on what he should do. He does what he wants to do. Psalm 115 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. It's his universe. He can do what he wants. Job 42, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be hindered. So in this great mighty plan that God has, right? Because he knows everything, he could, you know, every situation possible. He knows everything, right? So he put forth this plan. And in this plan, there's one thing that sticks out far above the rest as far as displaying the, the goodness and the glory of God. There's one thing that just really sticks out. And it's the gospel, all right? Again, the gospel is just one of those church words that we're like, oh, the gospel, gospel, gospel. All right? But question number two is, what is the gospel and like, what is it good for? Right? Why is it important? So the gospel means, come on, guys. What does it mean? Good news. All right. The gospel means good news. All right? So spoiler alert, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what the good news part of the gospel is. Get ready for this, because I'm just going to go ahead and just answer them out of the gate every time. All right. I want you to gauge your reaction to this. The good news that we celebrate here at church, the whole reason we get together, is because we are rescued from sin, and now we get to know God. Okay? Remember your reaction to that. Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now that is wonderful. Now at first, announcing what the good news part of the gospel is, no one jumped out of their seat and screamed. No one jumped up and high-fived, right? Well, that's natural, and I'll tell you why. The greatness of the rescue of the gospel, the greatness of the rescue is dependent on our understanding of the depth of the problem. All right, I'm going to say that again. The greatness of the rescue is dependent on our understanding of the depth of the problem. I'll give you some examples. Let's, so last week, I was getting ready to sign for uh, a delivery. I can't remember who it was. And I didn't have a pen. All right, so I'm just like, Stuck there looking like a weirdo, all right? And the guy pulls out a pen. He's like, here, you can use mine. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks, great, all right? On a very small scale, he rescued me. 
I needed something desperately. I didn't have it. He provided. Now, granted, I did not jump, you know, I didn't start doing jumping jacks and start thanking him for the pen, but he did rescue me, right? But the depth of that problem wasn't really so great. Here's another example. A few weeks ago, I had to run a couple of errands, so I left church. Just so happened that on my little route to run errands, it just happened to go by Dairy Queen. All right? It's crazy how that happens. So, of course, I go, pull into the drive-thru, I order an extra, extra, extra small ice cream cone. All right? And so I'm excited to eat it. I'm getting ready. All right? I pull up to the window to pay. And, of course, I did not have my wallet. All right? This is a true story, by the way. If that has never happened to you, bless you. It is horrible. But the worst part is you know that the lady in the drive-thru thinks you're ripping her off. Okay? I want to be like, huh, I'm a chillest pastor. You know, but it wouldn't do any good. But... The point was, she said, hey, you know what? You're a regular, so I'm going <laughs> to... No, she didn't say that. She said, I'll tell you what. She said, this time, I'll just give it to you for free. I was like, oh, great. Thank you so much. And I was embarrassed. I was like, oh, thank you so much. All right? So the depth of my gratitude was dependent on my understanding of the depth of the situation. Right? Okay. All right, so one more example. <laughs> it doesn't involve that, so. All right, so let, let's say you're walking down the street, and it's starting to get late at night, all right, and you're kind of in your own little world. You don't really know what you're doing. Maybe you've got headphones in. David Vanderon yells at me all the time for having my headphones in while I'm going down the road. But you're walking down the road. You're oblivious. There's a car coming from behind you, 80 miles an hour. They're speeding. They're not really paying attention. They're headed right for you. You're oblivious. They're oblivious. Right at the moment of impact, uh, let's say Pastor Greg jumps up, grabs your arm, and pulls you out of the way. What's your reaction going to be? Thank you, thank you, thank you. You saved my life. Thank you, thank you. You're going to kiss his feet and everything, right? Because your gratitude, the level of your gratitude, is based on your understanding of the depth of the situation. Okay? So the further the depth, the more grateful you're going to be, Right? Knowing God is unbelievable news. But a true appreciation for God's rescue of us, Jesus' rescue for us, is totally dependent on our understanding of the depth of the problem. problem. Very good. Thank you. So to understand the rescue plan and to understand how great it is, we must understand just how bad our sin is. All right? Spoiler alert. It's bad, really bad. So we know that we exist for the glory of God, and we, we know that of all the things to marvel at, the gospel is the one crown jewel okay, that we're, we're going to be worshiping forever. He saved us from our sin. Okay? So let's find out why the gospel is so wonderful. Question number three. Why is sin so bad? Okay? We've all asked this question, maybe on purpose or kind of accidentally. You know, like, what's, a, what's the big deal about this? I'm just going to do it anyways, right? Why is sin so bad? 
Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we don't really speak like this much today, so what does it really mean to say the wages of sin is death? Because to be honest with you, I remember I'm a little slow when it comes to reading and understanding big words and stuff like that, so maybe I'm just a little slow on the, on the scale. But growing up, I heard that phrase, so and I was like, what in the world does that mean? All right? Well, a wage, obviously, is what you are paid, the amount of money you're paid to do a job. All right, the minimum wage in Texas is $7.25, $7.25, right, which, by the way, Texas tried to raise it last year to $10.10, but it crashed and burned. So if you're a business owner, congratulations. If you're an employee, my condolences. <laughs> so the wages of one hour of work is $7.25. The wages of sin is death. So the payment or the reward for sin, the natural outflow of sin, is death. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was applying for a job, and in the yearly salary box it said death, <laughs> probably, probably going to put down the application. But friends, the darkness and the death that sin produces is no joke. You feel helpless and you feel hopeless, and it produces a fear and a misery that fills your mind and fills your heart and does not let go. It completely robs you of the ability to have any joy. It's serious business. And sadly, it's something that we're all guilty of. We all sin. Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now that is not happy news. This just gets worse and worse. So not only do we sin, we don't even seek God. It's one thing to be bad sometimes. But to never seek God means you are bad 100% of the time. There is nothing we can do in our sin. We're dead. The hurt that is caused by our sin and the violence and the heartbreak and the suffering that it all produces in our lives and the despair is what we're stuck with for all of eternity. Nothing can quench that misery. Luke 13, verse 28, it describes hell as a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever hurt yourself so bad that your whole body just clenched up, your teeth tightened, and you just, your, your teeth gritted, and they just gnat? That is awful. It's a horrible feeling. Imagine that for all of eternity, only it's going to be a million times worse. Just to think about the sin part of this, the bad news aspect of this, is really sad and really humbling. But I do want to take a quick sidestep here. As I was going over my notes this morning, just going over and trying to refresh my mind, I don't have a very good memory, so I have to do that. As I was going over my notes, 
I just, I just felt like the Lord stopped me in my tracks. Okay? As I was reading, I was like, okay, something doesn't feel right. Okay? And I became a little bit fearful that I was watering down what uh, God says about sin. Okay? So, yes, the consequences are terrible. It produces fear. It produces pain. It produces misery. That is absolutely right, and that is a reason to hate sin. But the reason that sin is bad is because it offends a holy God. God looks at sin and says, I will have none of that. He hates sin, and God deals violently with sin. He hates it. God created us to be holy, and when we sin, we don't just sin against ourselves. And we don't just sin against others. We don't just sin against our neighbors. When we are sinning, we are sinning against God infinitely. When David had an affair, he had the girl's husband and several others killed. He caused massive, lifelong pain to this woman and to her family. There was so much sadness in the situation, and yet David cried out to the Lord, Against you alone have I sinned. You see, David knew that the consequences of sin was hurt and misery and pain and suffering. It was terrible. But what was really going on in his sin was he was offending a very holy God. An eternity of God's wrath awaits us unless we repent and we follow Christ. And I have to go just one step farther and say that when God is convicting you of your sin and he's pushing you towards repentance, and and I say this out of my own experience, some of us will decide it's not worth the risk of looking foolish to make things right. It's not worth the embarrassment that I'm risking to go talk to somebody about it. Can I tell you something? That every single person in hell on year 1,000 of eternity is going to wish that instead of folding to the pressure, the head changed. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. Says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. But, church, this is where the good news comes in. I hope you've gotten a little bit of a better understanding of the depth of your sin. This is where the good news comes in. And now that we see the depth of the problem, perhaps we can appreciate more the rescue plan that God gave us. Let's read the rescue plan again. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's see if it hits you differently this time than it did a few minutes ago. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, he made us alive and together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I hope that hits you differently. 
Now the wages that we were supposed to receive from our sin, Christ took all of that upon himself when he died for us and rose from the dead. It's all gone. We quickly go from never being allowed to even know God to being looked at as if we had never sinned to begin with. There is no greater pleasure on earth than knowing Christ. No greater pleasure. Psalm 86. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 16. You have shown me the way to life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Deuteronomy 7. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Just a quick reminder that the word blessed there, the translation is happy. There is an exhilarating joy that comes with knowing Christ. How blessed, how happy is the man who takes refuge in him. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I have no idea how that works. All things work together for good. Just use your imaginations. All things. I have no idea how that works. A great analogy I heard a while back was, and I don't understand stained glass windows, so if the analogy is wrong, just forget it. But supposedly, if you look really, really close to a stained glass window, you can see nothing but just fractured glass and just, you know, cuts everywhere. It's just a horrible mess. But when you look back, it's all a beautiful picture. And that's kind of the way we have to look at um, God working all things together for, for the good of those who love him. Jesus is the master of the universe. He is the author and he is the finisher. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. He heals the sick, he gives sight to the blind, he he comforts those in need, and he gives strength to the weak. That is a God I love. God loves us, Jesus loves us, and he wants to give us eternal joy. Take it. Take it. Do not let it slip away. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that everything starts working our way. Raise your hand if you agree with that. The good news of the gospel is that God is enough. Regardless of your circumstances, you get Jesus. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. Question number four. This is the last question. So how can I have a relationship with Jesus? We see the depth of the need for a rescue. And Jesus steps in, not because of anything we did. How can I have a relationship with Jesus? 
Simply, you must receive him. John chapter 1 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So what does that mean? It means that Jesus must, must be your greatest treasure. To receive him is to value him above all things. Matthew 13, verse 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and he bought that field. Right? If you only get one thing today, I want you to get this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. To have your treasure, you must leave your old life of sin behind. Not a little bit, all of it. It can no longer be what you run after. If the man hadn't sold everything, guess what? He wouldn't have been able to have his treasure. It doesn't say he went home and sold some things. But here's the exciting part about that. Not only did he sell everything, but it says in his joy, he ran and sold everything. So he couldn't wait to get rid of all this junk so that he could have his precious treasure. That's the way we have to treat Christ. Luke chapter 14. I'm almost done. Stay with me. If people come to me and are not ready to abandon their fathers, mothers, wives, children, brothers, and sisters, as well as their own lives, they cannot be my disciples. That sounds really harsh, but we are living in a time where the number of people that hate God is steadily increasing. Rapidly increasing, rather. Are you willing to lose loved ones for the sake of Christ and obey his plan for your life? Satan tries everything he can to rip Christians off. Do not fall for it. Believe in the gospel. Believe in the truth of what Jesus says. It is my heart, it is Pastor Phil's heart, it is Pastor Greg, it is all of our heart that this church would be so in love with Jesus that the people who come in are just flabbergasted. And they're like, I want some of that. Whatever it is, I want some. When you know Jesus and you spend time with him, his love and his presence are so fulfilling. Guys, please know that. It is better and more satisfying than anything you could possibly choose. As I close, I want us to bow our heads. As the musicians come up, I want you to know that if you are here today and you have never come to Christ, come today. Do not wait. If you haven't been coming to church for a while, but maybe you haven't completely sold out to Christ, please, I am begging you, come. To know Christ and to fellowship with Christ, we must be willing to leave everything. And as Paul says, if I lose everything but I have Christ I consider it gain
On the last day of the feast of the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Lord, I pray that our hearts just flow out rivers of living water. Lord, it's something that only you can give us. Lord, we cannot be satisfied by the things of the world. Lord, convict us in the areas that we need to be convicted in. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves. Lord, there are going to be so many people on Judgment Day completely shocked as to the why they do not get into heaven. Lord, help us to be obedient to your word. Help us to have a passion and a love for your word. All this we ask in your name. Amen. If, if you have something heavy on your heart, something that you need to put behind you, something you need to confess to the Lord, maybe confess to someone else here, maybe there's an offense between two people here, I don't know. While the music plays, you have plenty of time to come seek out a pastor, seek out a friend, or just come to the altar and give it to the Lord. He wants you to come. He wants to satisfy your heart. Amen?